Welcome to Politics 101, a podcast in which the important ideas of global politics are discussed with current events in mind. Today, we will discuss gerrymandering and how it may affect the 2020 elections, redlining and how it has changed the wealth gap in the United States, and colonialism and how Egypt's development has been changed because of it. We will also discuss the current conflict in the Middle East and how Iraq's sovereignty has been challenged. Gerrymandering is a way that governing parties try to cement themselves in power by tilting the political map or congressional districts steeply in their favor. The purpose and goal of gerrymandering is to draw the boundaries of political districts in such a way that as many seats as possible are likely to be won by the party's candidates. This is achieved by either packing or cracking, packing being concentrating one type of voter in a certain district to dilute their influence on other districts, and cracking being spreading out the voters of a certain type so that they do not have the majority in any voting district. The most recent example of gerrymandering in the United States is in North Carolina, where an obviously biased congressional map was deemed illegal by the state court. As the the Republican Party is currently in power in the state, they had designed the congressional map to manipulate the influence of voters to increase the likelihood of of a Republican victory. The map was declared illegal in October of 2019 due to its blatant partisan intent. When legislators drew a new map, gerrymandering was still evident, although the new map was allowed to stand as the creation of yet another congressional map for North Carolina would likely delay the 2020 primaries. Though it is not always clear, gerrymandering has allowed politicians in the U.S. to be elected and or re-elected when the majority of the population might not actually support them. For instance, the Center for American Progress reported that Unfairly drawn congressional districts shifted, on average, a whopping 59 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives during the 2012, 2014, and 2016 elections. That means that every other November, 59 politicians that would not have been elected based on statewide voter support for their party won anyway because the lines were drawn in their favor, often by their allies in the Republican or Democratic Party. Along the same lines of manipulating areas, the act of redlining is defined as the systematic denial of various services to members of specific, often racially associated, neighborhoods or communities, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. The term comes from the maps that government surveyors would complete of neighborhoods, color coding each one either green for best, blue for still desirable, yellow for definitely declining, or red for hazardous. These red-lined areas were discounted as high-risk neighborhoods, mainly due to the race and ethnicity of the population. Lenders would then either not allow loans for that area or make them very expensive, which made it difficult for minorities to buy homes, which then made the racial wealth gap even bigger. Just last year, Hudson City Savings Bank located in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, 
was found guilty of redlining as they had avoided doing mortgage business with African Americans and Latinos for four years. The bank made an effort not to set up offices in minority neighborhoods and made it difficult for people of color to get loans for houses. In September of 2019, the U.S. Justice Justice Department announced that a settlement had been made with Hudson City Savings Bank to close for $33 million after news of this redlining was found. The settlement also stated that the bank needed to open two full-service branches in non-white neighborhoods. This recent example, as well as countless others throughout history, shows how there is still discrimination in society today, although it may not be as obvious as it once was. Part of the reason that there is still such a large gap in wealth between races is redlining, because home ownership is the number one way to accumulate wealth. When people are denied that, or that that is made more difficult for them, then there becomes a continued cycle of poverty, which then leads to more discrimination. a similar line of thought, we come to colonialism, which is defined as the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers, and exploiting it economically. Though not everyone knows it, Egypt has been colonized multiple times in its history, both by the French and the British. Egypt was first invaded by Napoleon Bonaparte in 1798, though his reign only lasted three years. Bonaparte had been drawn to Egypt's potential economic value as a colony, and also the demoralizing effect taking it over would have on the British. Many Egyptian students were sent to French scientific and military academies. So by the time the British came, Egypt had already produced many intellectuals who followed Europe's modern standards rather than Egypt's supposedly backwards ones. Britain came to Egypt in 1882, invading after a nationalist revolt left the country vulnerable. This, along with the massive debt that Egypt had compiled after building the Suez Canal in 1869, allowed Britain to effectively turn Egypt into an indirectly governed British colony. Egypt was made an official protectorate of the British Empire during World War I. Limitations were placed on Egyptian education and economic development with the intentions of keeping the country with an agricultural economy. As the British Empire grew, sentiments in Egypt became more and more divided between secular nationalism and Islamic modernism. Many people blamed Egypt's predicament as a failure on Egypt's part to maintain religious traditions. Increasing literacy and newspaper access in Egypt led to the growth of nationalist movements, and in 1922, the national the Nationalist Waft Party led massive demonstrations against the British, which ended the protectorate and began a constitutional monarchy. However, the British remained in control, and as time passed, the Waft Party was exposed as a platform for the wealthy and corrupt. On July 23, 1952, a military coup took place and overthrew both the Waft Party and British rule, although competing visions for the future of Egypt quickly led to an ideological split between nationalism and Islamic reformism that that ultimately led to violence between Arab socialist authoritarian regimes and members of the Muslim Brotherhood. 
Without colonialism, Egypt likely would have developed as a nation much quicker because they would not have had the restrictions put in place on their education and economic policies as they did when they were under Britain's control. They also would likely not have had as much turmoil in their political leaders because they would have had control over themselves from the start, so there wouldn't have been such a rush and grab for power when the British were overthrown. But colonialism is not always completely bad. Sometimes the colonizers can implement better economic and educational policies that stimulate the growth of a country and help them become wealthier. However, colonialism does often lead to political instability, as most, peace, as most people generally object to being under the rule of another country. Also, there can be large ideological and or religious differences that are created in the population, which can again lead to instability and the possibility of war or uprisings due to these differences in ideas. Finally, we come to another difference of ideas today in the dispute over Iraq's sovereignty. Sovereignty, defined as the authority of a state to govern itself or another state, is very highly valued in all countries, but especially in those who have suffered the presence of another military in their country without request. Iraq is no exception, and the recent conflicts between Iran and the U.S. have only increased their wish for full sovereignty. On January 2nd in Baghdad, Iraq, a U.S. airstrike targeted and killed Iranian General Qassam Soleimani, who some considered to be the second most par powerful man in Iran. The reasoning behind the attack was that the U.S. had intelligence that Soleimani was actively planning future attacks against U.S. diplomats and servicemen throughout the region, which our government wanted to prevent. There was immediate outrage in Iran at this killing, and citizens and government pledged revenge against the United States. According to the Washington Post, Iraqi Prime Minister Adel Abdul Mahdi condemned the U.S. assassination, adding that the killing of the Iraqi militia leader was an act of aggression against Iraq and a breach of the conditions under which American forces operate in the country. The attack was conducted by a U.S. drone, and 10 people were killed in the strike. In retaliation, a missile strike was led on a U.S. military base in Iraq by Iran, although there were no casualties. The Iraqi government has quickly condemned the original U.S. action as a violation of its sovereignty because the U.S. government has, had ignored Iraqi requests to remove troops from their soil, as well as posed attacks on Iraqi soil without permission. Although part of President Trump's campaign involved the promise of the removal of soldiers overseas, the president has responded to the Iraqi requests by saying that he would impose very big sanctions on Iraq if it expelled American troops. According to the New York Times, in his statement on Friday, the Iraqi prime minister said that American forces entering the country and drones flying over Iraq did so without permission from the Iraqi government. These actions, along with the violence between Iran and the U.S. on Iraqi soil, have led many Iraqis to, pro to protest the alleged violation of their country's sovereignty by the United States. Beyond this tension, there have already been several repercussions to the U.S. missile strike on General Soleimani. Beyond the, Ira the Iranian missile strike on American soldiers in Iraq, a Ukrainian passenger plane was shot down by two Iranian missiles 
on January 8th. The Iranian government denied their involvement in the crash for three days before declaring that it was a human error that caused the missiles to launch. All 176 people on the flight were killed, 82 of which were Iranian and 63 of which were Canadian. Although, although the United States increasingly believes that this was an accidental attack, it is likely that the threat of American attacks on Iran in retaliation for the missile strikes on American soldiers in Iraq led to increased anxiety and paranoia on the part of the Iranian military. According to the New York Times, Iran's military blamed human error for the strike and said that the plane had been misidentified as a cruise missile flying over Tehran. But the plane's flight path would suggest otherwise. It was climbing at around 2,000 feet per minute on its ascent from the airport when the first missile was fired, according to a Times analysis of flight data. Flight activity from Tehran's national airport was normal on the morning of January the 8th, the flight data showed, and Flight 752 followed its regular route. It was one of the 19 planes that took off from Tehran in the hours after Iran launched missiles at military bases in Iraq housing American troops. The U.S., as well as Britain, Canada, Sweden, and the European Commission are calling for an independent and credible investigation into the crash although so far it has been difficult for investigators to be allowed into Iran. That is all we have today on Politics 101, with today's episode covering gerrymandering, redlining, colonialism, and sovereignty. Thank you for listening.